All right, we better we better get this show on the road. Let's uh, let's let's pause for a second and uh, say a word of prayer, and then we'll get uh, we'll get rolling. Let us pray. Father, you show the world the splendor of your glory in the coming of Christ, born of the Virgin. Give to us true faith and love to celebrate the mystery of God made man. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks for coming this morning. Uh, let's see. The baskets we're going to collect for Spain today. So put some money in the baskets. We'll send it overseas to help out in Spain. Gifts for Grace. Of course, you know, uh, we move right on to the next big thing, Gifts for Grace. You know how this works the, in the stairwell downstairs, the stairwell of of good deeds and kindness. You can go down there and uh, find tags of gifts that uh, are for the, the, the kids at uh, Grace Christian Academy. Um, if you have any questions, Kathy Thorne is the person to ask. She knows all the ins and outs of that. Um, and then come to church, let's see, on January 10th. Is that right? January 10th is the pancake breakfast uh, with, the Grace, with the kids from Grace, right? So come to church then, and we'll be sending them off uh, with all the gifts that we've collected uh, at that time. Let's see, Christmas this week, of course, the, lessons, uh, the service of lessons and carols, 4 o'clock on Christmas Eve, Thursday, and then a 7 o'clock divine service, and then also on Christmas Day, 10 o'clock in the morning. And then if you didn't hear the announcement in church, no church on Saturday night, um, Thursday, Friday, Take a, day, take a break, and then come again on Sunday, okay? All right. Um, any questions? Anything else I need to bring your attention to? Dennis. My question is, because in the news this week, there's been a lot of, um, a lot of talk about you know, Muslims and Christians and Jews about whether they're praying to the same God or not. Right. And so I think the easier, and, and I'll already take the, Right. And Muslims do not pray to a triune God, so I think the answer is no, we're not. Sure. But the harder question for me is, in the Old Testament, obviously the Jews are praying to God, God the Father. Right. And yet, you know, there's no mention in the Jewish prayers of a triune God, and so... Yeah, so I think it could. I, so the question, the question has to do with all of the all of the news that we've heard lately about whether Jews, Muslims, and Christians pray to the same God, and it's a it's a it's a very timely question, and it's something for us to sort of um, wrestle with a little bit, make sure that we know uh, have our have our heads straight on about. And the, your point is well made that with with Christians and Muslims, the issue of the Trinity is one one big divisive issue, and also um, if you look at so what the Bible says and what the Quran says. They're both exclusive of each other. So, right, so the, the Bible says, no one comes to the Father except through me. And who, who, who am I? I am Jesus Christ, the Son of God, right? No one comes to the Father except through me. Um, the Quran in no way would permit that, right? So they're, they're mutually exclusive in, in their texts. Um, with Jews, you're right. We have, what, what, what about the continuity that, uh, that there seems to be with the faith that we share with the Jews? And uh, one way to look at it, one way to frame it, actually pertains to the Bible study we've been having right now. Right? Who is the God of Israel? Um, in the New Testament, we understand him to be a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And 
particularly revealed to us in the Son, Jesus Christ, right? Again, no one comes to the Father except through me, which informs how we understand the Old Testament, right? Even in the Old Testament, it's through the Son, it's through the second person of the Trinity that you get to the Father. Um, but who is the God of the Old Testament? Well, it's the same God, of course, that we worship, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And one of the, one of the best ways to, to understand this is to think about the critique that Jesus gives of the Jews, right? And John the Baptist, too. Don't say that you have Abraham as your father. God can raise up for Abraham children from these stones, right? So what is it that makes, uh, who is the God of Abraham? He's not the God of, of an ethnicity or of a nation, right? And if you, if, if you presume that um, God is, is um, a, a God who identifies himself now by a people, um, an ethnicity or a nation, then you're not praying to the God who identifies himself by, the, by being the one who saves through his son uh, by those who trust in his son, right? So the, the, the children of Abraham are children by faith, not by lineage. And, and there you really see um, the division. So if you, if you uh, worship God because he's made you a child of Abraham by descent, then um, it's, it's an inheritance that you have by, by right, right? Something you're entitled to. Um, and that's very different from being a child of Abraham by faith, receiving something that you're not entitled to whatsoever. In fact, something, that, that you, something uh, the opposite of which you deserve, right? Not, not receiving the inheritance from God. Dave? My understanding that you also look at the character of the divine uh, in the two religions because there is no way, shape, or form that Allah loves the people. Sure. He's simply demanding obedience. Sure. But even with the obedience that our God calls for, there is the love in regards to the people. Yeah. yeah and I, I, I'm, now I, I'm, I'm not an expert um, on, on Islam at all, but one, I mean, the, the difference between Christianity and every other religion is, of course, that Christianity is a religion of grace, of mercy, right? Where uh, if it was up to us, we would be lost. We would have, uh, Luther has this famous prayer that he, he invites pastors to pray. If it was up to me, I would have ruined it all long ago, right? And that's, I mean, that's the difference between Christianity and every other religion. Bruce? The, I guess I sort of look at the, uh, the Muslims, if you actually talk to them, you know, they're, they are also worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, okay? They say they are. Uh, so do the Mormons. I mean, they, the problem is, is that the, the Quran, the people that came after the basic Bible, <coughs> kind of taken off in a, in a wrong direction. That's why we don't call uh, Mormons Christians, because they really don't understand grace and the, the saving grace that was on the cross. Dealing with, with Jews, as I do in my family, there are two versions. I mean, the ones that recognize Yeshua, Hamashiach, which is the, the Messiah, and the yes come, and all the rest of the Jews do not recognize the Messiah. They're still waiting for him. Therefore, the Jews do not worship the same God that we do, because they do not they do not recognize the, the third person of the Dia. So I think uh, yeah. it's pretty clear to say that the Jews do not worship the same God that we do. Again, again, the, the really simple, the really simple paradigm for thinking about this is, um, who is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? 
Um, and he is the God who reveals himself to save us in his son. And if you get to God any other way, any other way, then you're not getting to God, right? Um, and, so, and so it's important to, uh, to take seriously what Jesus says about himself, right? I am the way and the truth and the life. Um, those are not incidental sayings. Those are crucial, central, central teachings of Jesus. Also, okay. when the Muslim speaks of the people of the book, they are not referring to the Bible. They're referring to a book that's kept in heaven, completely separate from sure. Yeah, yeah. Whereas we, again, uh, we have Christ in the flesh. Um, I mean, the it's night and day. Thinking about and Christmas is a great time to think about this because uh, what does it mean that uh, that God is born of a virgin, um, born under the law, taking on human flesh, dwelling among humanity? Right. This is something that that um, is utterly upside down and backwards. Right. The foolishness of God, um, and, and this is what. This is, this is our basic confession, right? Uh, this is what we say in the Nicene Creed, right? I believe in Jesus Christ. Um, that's the central article of the creed, okay? Richard. Uh, just a quick question. Um, well, it's very clear that obviously, as you said, there's no way for salvation to occur except Jesus Christ. I don't particularly understand. I mean, <clears throat> what is it? I mean, prayer is not salvation. Sure, Right. Um, and, and so, you know, this is, this is where you have to be kind of uh, discerning, right? So um, anybody can, can pray generically to, to a higher power, right? You can, you can um, express your thoughts and wishes to a higher power, and God, omnipotent, omnipresent, right, all omniscient, certainly hears those prayers. What's the difference, though? For, what's the difference for Christians? Um, yeah, right. So he hears the prayers, right? Meaning he, and there's two, there's actually, this is a subtle linguistic uh, distinction here. There's a difference between hearing and listening to, right? Um, so uh, the, they may, anybody can pray and God, God hears it. But whose prayers does he promise to answer? Those prayers who are said in the name of Jesus. Those prayers who are said in, that, that invoke the name of the triune God, Right? That's, again, once again, no one comes to the Father except through me. Um, does, that, does that help? Does that make sense? I mean, it, it's, it's challenging, um, it, and it's part, of, uh, it's, it's part of what makes a lot of Scripture difficult for us because uh, Jesus is so particular, right? He's one man born um, in, in the fullness of time. God, you know, sent his son to be born of a wood woman, right? In, in that particular time, in that particular instance, there was this man, and he's the key to everything, right? Which um, makes, the te- makes it seem like uh, this is sort of a, an impossible, insurmountable thing. Uh, but it's precisely in that, it's precisely in Jesus coming in the flesh that, uh, that we have access to everything. And that's why, that's why our inheritance in the church is so, is so rich. Martha. Okay. So specifically the professor, more of a weak policy. So I understand, you know, God by faith, God by lineage, and I've heard us talking about that as it concerns the Jewish faith. Mm-hmm. But if the question is asked, who does the Muslim pray to? Who do they worship? Say that and I missed it? Uh, no, uh, and so good. So, who, what's the answer? What's the answer? Who do they pray to? 
they pray to another God, a God who identifies himself in these ways, by these, by these um, criteria, who, uh, to whom, in order to a- access him, you have to do these things, right? It's a different God. But I mean, which, which things, that, that, and that may be the part I missed. Right. I know who we pray to. Right. Sure, I, you know, I, and I, I, again, I'm not, not having all my, my notes straight about Islam. The, the, uh, the distinction is whether you get to Jesus, whether you get to God through the person of Jesus or through the fulfillment of certain requirements, right? Uh, certain ritual requirements, um, obe- obedience, right, in, in, terms of, in terms of keeping ritual law, um, and, and also what, it, what is the character of God, right? How is God defined? Um, we've said this. We said this over and over again. Um, God's promises. God is defined by His promises, and His promise of life is is the the, the promise that trumps all, right? Um, so, you know, there are a lot of Christians who believe a lot of a lot of uh, various things, just like there are a lot of Muslims who believe a lot of various things, and so. Making general statements about it is, is difficult. Um, but in terms, of, in terms of prayer and in terms of whether or not it's the same God, the answer is really very simple. Uh, is Jesus God or not? If he's not, then you got the wrong guy, right? You're going to the wrong place. You're knocking on the wrong door. Like Luther says, you're throwing, you're throwing stones up into a tree hoping that you, you knock a, a pear and it falls down, right? You're going the wrong place. Um, and, and so, that, I mean, that's, that's the, the short answer. And it's not going to be very satisfying for a lot of people to, ha- to have that answer. But um, that's, that's what we got, right? Unless you can, unless you can dig deeper and, and sort of, you know, wrestle out some of the details. But. The, easier, the easier, safer answer for someone like me who can't, who doesn't have all the theological, you know, I can't kind of pull that up as readily when I need it, is simply they don't worship Jesus Christ. Yeah. Right. So that's the difference. I don't need to know all those other things because. Yeah. What, yeah. Here's. I mean, Paul. What is? <laughs> wait. What does Paul say? He says, "No one, no one confesses Jesus as Lord except by the Holy Spirit." Right. And no one can, no one can curse Jesus, apart from you know, if they, unless they're apart from the Holy Spirit. Um, and that's it. That's it. You got it in a nutshell there. Yeah, Rachel. Good question, Dennis. By the way. Good. <laughs> That's a good question, right? Um, do you have to know the name of Jesus in order to get to God? Um, let me let me just say, it's uh, it's unclear, right? It's it's shady territory, and I wouldn't try it. I wouldn't try getting to God apart from Jesus. Um, but again, so so then you, so um, part of what what impels us to ask questions like that is um, is our sense of our sense of justice, our sense of rightness, right? 
is it right for God to, um, to, to withhold himself and his blessings from people who never had the chance to know the name of Jesus, right? Um, it's, it's a question that, uh, that dives a little bit too deep into the unknowableness of God, right? Um, for two reasons. One, because uh, for us to question God's justice and righteousness is to presume that we know what's just and right, um, which we don't, right? This is what the book of Job is all about. If you're going to put God on trial, you're going to end up in a world of hurt, right? You don't, you don't put God on trial. But also, it, it's, it, it's also not a good place for us to go because perhaps we presume too little of God's mercy, right? Um, even the woman who comes and touches the corner of Jesus' garment is healed, right? Um, I wish I could say more than that. Um, and you wish for the sake of people who don't know Jesus that, that you could say more than that. But, that you know, we, again, this is all... Um, if, any, if this does anything for, for you personally as a, 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 in terms of your faith, what this should do is drive you to Jesus all the more because he's the only chance you got, okay? He's the only, he's the only chance you got. Dennis? Do we say he's the only chance we've got or do we say this is the only sure thing we know? That's a good distinction to make, but yeah. I have this discussion with people I work with and they always want to pin me down Yeah. They go, oh, so you're telling so I don't believe in Jesus, so you're telling me I'm going to hell. I said, no, I didn't say that. I said, I know this is the way. I don't know of any other way. Right. So I'm not going to condemn you to hell. I'm just saying that yeah. I don't know of any other way. Right. And 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 this is uh so okay, all right. So um <laughs> I should tell a joke right now, shouldn't I? Um You're right. I, you're right. Uh what are we What are we going for? Um, if you're If you're If you're trying If you're trying to get at God in a way other than what He gives to you, then in in a sense you're outright rejecting God, right? You're saying, "Oh God, you you have appointed this way. You've given me your Son. You've given me. You've called me your own. Um, you want to give me everything you have, but I suspect that if I go this way, I might get there too, right? That's that's not faith." That's the opposite of faith, right? But is it our job? Is it our job to level condemnation, right? Um, no. To whom does to whom does Jesus give the keys to the kingdom of God? To the apostles, right? And in the in their case, and in the case of pastors who bind and loose with the with the keys, right? The keys, the office of the keys. That binding and loosing is um, is a really serious matter, not one that that, uh, that we all just go about, you know, uh, toying with on our own, right? And, and even, even, as, even as pastors or as, as you know, uh, the, the teachers of the church have in the, have in the past, it's not something that's ever done lightly, right? If you say to somebody, you're damned to hell, that's pretty serious business, right? Um, and, you, th- I mean, you, you can warn people all, all you want, right? You're not taking the, you're not taking the path that, uh, that God has appointed, and um, he, says, he says some pretty terrible things happen to people who do that, right? Um, and if you, can, if you persist in rejecting Jesus, then of course, of course, uh, we know how this is going to end up, right? Um, but, but us, in terms of us sort of having the final say about things, 
It's not really up to us. We just say what Jesus says. Um, and he says, like you said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, Father except apart from me. And those words sort of speak for themselves. Um, if, you, if, if somebody wants you to make a judgment about their soul, right, um, you're doing so, you, you, it's, it's engaging in a task that you can't, you can't undertake. But what you can do is let them judge themselves, right? Are you, do, you, uh, do you believe what Jesus says? If not, then your own words condemn you, right? Uh, Michael, over here. So I, I don't want your, um, your teaching about pointing clearly to Jesus mm-hmm. is, is taken, and I, I don't mean to uh, push that aside. Um, I'd like for you to correct me if I, if I uh, steer off course. In a conversation with a friend who's um, Jewish, uh, he said, well, there's only one God. He, you know, and I said, "Okay, well, if you, it's presumptuous. He's equating worship of God. He's he's uh, proposing that Christians and Jews worship the same God, right? And uh, he's equating worship and prayer uh, with salvation, right? Right. And I think it's a little bit. And I told him, I said, it's a bit presumptuous. Uh, number one, to uh, ascribe to to ascribe action to uh, as effective." And as knowledge to be effective, because if he says, well, we worship the God of Abraham and there's only one God, and I agree with that, I, I have to say, well, God's been revealed in Jesus Christ and that there's a triune God. So you actually, I logically, I'm, I, I'm having to say, you worship the Father, but since you can't separate the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, you, you, you may be worshiping him. But I'm unsure if your worship is effective. It's like I can I can only see the front of this dry erase board. I I don't I can't see the back of it. That but my knowledge does isn't effective. My opinion doesn't rise to a level of right. and I can't change its nature. One of the things that, that what you've just said um, reveals about the, about this discussion and about the question of prayer and worship in general is that for mo- for most of the most of the world apart from apart from Christians worship. And prayer, especially worship, is something that who's who's the actor in worship? Who's the agent? Who's the one doing the thing in worship? The person, right? For Christians, who's doing the work in worship? God, right? And and this is where the presumption does does, does it plays a huge role, right? So um, in if, if somebody insists we worship the same God, one thing I mean one one straight basic critique you can offer is. We have completely different definitions of worship. You've got, you've got it backwards. You're saying that when you go and worship and do these things, um, that is the basic tenet of your faith, and we have that in common. It's not true. The basic tenet of our faith is that Jesus, God, took on flesh and saves us. Right? That's, that's the foundation. That's the building block. If you don't start there, if you don't start there, you get everything else wrong. Um, that's why in the, in the Lutheran confessions, when, uh, when the, uh, the Lutheran church was trying to um, discern the difference between churches that tra- taught the gospel and didn't teach the gospel, you start, with, you start with Jesus and everything else unfolds from that, right? All doctrine unfolds from Jesus. Um, if you start, another, another uh, way to look at this, if you start as the philosophers do, as any humanistic uh, philosopher, armchair theologian would do, if you start with what you think about God 
what, what, let's, let's suppose for a second, let's posit there is a God. Let's imagine there is a God. What must he be like? If you start with that, you might get some things about God right. For instance, you'd say he must be eternal. He must know everything. He must be all-powerful. But if that's your starting place, you still are going to get the basic thing wrong, which is Jesus, right? It's only Jesus, um, which is why, which is why uh, we don't do theology um, as, a, as, a, as a discipline of philosophy. We do theology as a discipline of um, exegesis, reading a text, hearing a story, um, telling a story. That's why, that's why a Bible study on Genesis is so much fun, because this is the nuts and bolts of, of, of Christianity. There's, there's, so this, we'll, how about this? I'll say one more thing, and then we'll go to, we'll go to Joseph, okay? Um, <laughs> there's great consolation in, in, in what you just said, um, and there, but there's two sides to it. And, and this sort of, maybe, this, maybe this will wrap things up a little bit, too. Um, the great consolation is that God does work through amazingly minute things um, uh, incredibly corrupt people, uh, people like you and me, right? Um, and even things that we do which seem like they're never going to accomplish the end for which we intend them, right? So I pray for people all the time and it feels useless, right? It feels useless. What am I doing? I'm, 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 you know, how is this helping anything? I should go out and fix some problems instead of praying about them, right? That's how it feels. Um, but uh, Jesus works through even these things that seem you know, weak and, uh, and impotent, right? Uh, he works for them because his power is made perfect in weakness, right? So there's great consolation in that, that, um, that even the, even, you know, a seed as tiny as a mustard seed can sprout into a, a tree. Um, on the other hand, on the other side of the coin, uh, it's also a consolation, but it, it's, it's a driving force that where there is certainty, here it is again, Dennis, where, there, where we are sure that's where we flee. That's where we go um, uh, all of the time, right? So Jesus doesn't, you know, Jesus is, the, the hem of his garment is touched by the woman and, and she's healed. That doesn't mean that we all walk around saying, inviting folks to touch the hem of our garments and maybe, maybe you'll be healed, right? Because Jesus didn't tell us to do that. What did he tell us to do? Go and make disciples by baptizing them and teaching them. Uh, eat and drink, doing this in remembrance of me, Right? Do those things, and that's where, I'm, that's where I'm going to be. I may be somewhere else, too, but you know for sure that that's where I'm going to be. Okay? And a hush fell over the ground. <laughs> Good. Okay. Pastor, yeah, David. Perfect. Yeah, on the website, Catechumenate. If you ever want to, by the way, if you're ever interested in refreshing the Catechumenate, it's on the website under resources. Yeah, all right. Very good. Let's, <laughs> I feel like sitting down. <laughs> Let's open our Bibles to Genesis 39. Ten chapters in 15 minutes. What do you think? Um, now, this is, this is why... Uh, this is why studying these stories is so important because, because what, we find out, what we found out in this discussion, I think, I think this is true generally, that a lot of our instincts about God and the way he operates in the world or the way he ought to operate in the world, a lot of our instincts are wrong. Um, and, 
they, our instincts sort of rely on our presumption that we know, we know how things ought to work, we know what is right, and we know what is good. And if, if the Bible teaches us, um, if the Old Testament, these Old Testament stories teach us anything, one of, the, one of the main things they teach us is that we are backwards about what's right and what's good. So where are we with Joseph? Let's, uh, let's, let's catch up here. You remember what happened in chapter 37? He had his dreams, uh, lots of dreams. His brothers hated him. They hated him even more. Um, his father sent him off. He was, the brothers wanted to kill him. Reuben said, don't kill him. Judah said, let's sell him into slavery. They put him in a pit. He was sold to the Ishmaelites, or the Midianites who sold him to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt, sold him to Potiphar. And then, then there was a great big to be continued. And then we had chapter 38, Judah and Tamar, which, which seems not to be connected whatsoever to the story. But it's a great story because it uh, shows up in the genealogy of Jesus. Uh, uh, Jesus is descended from Perez, the son of Judah, by Tamar. Remember, Tamar is Judah's daughter-in-law, erstwhile daughter-in-law, now wife. Um, and so he had uh, Perez, um, and, and the, the, the turning point of that story, the turning point of that story of uh, Judah and Tamar, is when Tamar's about to be burned, right? Uh, Judah found out she was pregnant and said, let's burn her. Um, and she shows him the, the, his cord and his seal and his staff, and she says, who do these belong to? And Judah says, she is more righteous than I, which is... Uh, an act of what? What is that when he says that? What's the key word I'm looking for? The good Lutheran word here? Repentance. Okay. So Judah repents there. And interestingly, I mean, you, wouldn't, you, don't think, you don't see it much in the Old Testament. You don't see such vivid acts of repentance. But uh, they're crucial in Genesis. They're crucial in um, the narratives in the Old Testament in, in deciphering who is, who is for God and who is against him. Um, Saul is impenitent. He doesn't repent. David, when he's confronted with his sins, repents. And uh, it's important for us to have our heads on straight about what exactly repentance means. It doesn't mean uh, doing some, some, some righteous act as a, as a sign of contrition, but it means recognizing your fault and receiving Jesus' forgiveness, receiving God's grace, receiving, receiving his mercy, right? Put fault, throwing yourself at his feet. Um, as, you know, the woman caught in adultery, right? She's got nothing going for her except, except Jesus. Um, and the woman who, the woman who uh, breaks the bottle of perfume, um, she loves much because, because she was forgiven much, okay? So we'll see some more repentance here, maybe. Um, but that's, that's sort of like a key. Watch for that in the Old Testament. Watch for it and, and see what it looks like. It happens with Judah. He's, his character is changing. And I might, I might frame it this way. The story of Joseph is about uh, Joseph's character being formed by God and Judah's character being formed by God, right? For the sake of God's people, Israel. Um, Joseph rises to power in Egypt and saves the whole world by being an astute manager, right? He sets aside grain during the seven rich years and then um, saves every, feeds the hungry during the seven the seven impoverished years. He saves the whole world. But uh, what's crucial, what's, what, what is highlighted in the text is that he saves his family. Not just because they were hungry, but, be, but in spite of the fact that they wanted to kill him, right? Um, he saves his family. Okay, so let's get there. Um, 
chapter 30, 39, now we return to, this, to Joseph. And um, I, think you, I think you generally know how these stories go. If you don't know, give it a quick read when you get home. 37 through the end of Genesis. It reads like a... I mean, it's like a short story. You can, you can get through it pretty quickly and get the gist of it, and it's helpful to read it all at once. But let's take a look at a few things in particular. The first one is uh, here in 39, we see how God treats Joseph. And this is paradigmatic for, for our lives and our relationship with God. Listen to what it says just in the first six verses of chapter 39. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's care, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. So, how are things going for Joseph? Why? The Lord was with him. Um, and the, the, big, the, the key word here is favor, right? God shows Joseph favor. In fact, you don't see in those first six verses Joseph doing much of anything, right? He's just sort of being carried along by God's, by God's grace. Everything, the Lord caused all that he did to succeed. Things were going well for Joseph because of favor. And then he received favor from his master. I mean, it's really a miraculous thing, right? This guy takes Joseph in and gives him in charge of absolutely everything. He trusts him with everything. So everything's in Joseph's power, um, but there's, but there's this nasty situation that arises, right? Potiphar's wife, he's a good-looking fellow. That's what the text says. He's a good-looking fellow, and Potiphar's wife wants to have him. Um, Joseph objects. Now, uh, this is one of the best, the best pictures we have of Joseph. So he's, he receives God's favor, and he does, he, he's righteous. He does this righteous thing by turning away from unchastity turning away from adultery. Uh, he doesn't sin with Potiphar's wife. He, in fact, he gives this, she says, lie with me. And he gives this long speech. Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in his house. He's not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Right? How can I sin against God? How can I, uh, how can I violate the trust of both both of my masters who have shown me favor, right? Does this righteous deed. And then what happens? He gets thrown in prison, right? Um, the scene is, is, is a dramatic flurry. He, ha- he happens to be in the house with Potiphar's wife. He probably shouldn't have gone in there in the first place if she was all alone, right? Just stay away. But uh, she, uh, she's, she says, lie with me. Um, and he says, no. And he tries to run away and she grabs his, or he leaves behind his, his cloak. Now, this, remember, this is not the first time his robe, his outer garment, has been involved in um, his fate. So here, he's, he's left behind his robe, and what can he do? It's his word against hers, right? She's, she uh, accuses him of, of trying to take advantage of her, and he's thrown in jail. So what is the reward for his righteous deed? Suffering, right? He suffers. Can you see this? 
Okay. If I stand right here, can you see it? Okay. <laughs> so he receives God's favor. He does something, does a righteous deed out of gratitude for God's favor, and then he suffers for it. That's the way life goes when you're, when you're one of God's people. It's not, it's not always a lot of fun, is it? Right? Um, but it, here's the thing. Um, again, the this, this story is about Joseph's, Joseph's formation, uh, Joseph's character being formed. And what does this do for a person like Joseph? What, what, is he, what is the greatest temptation at this point when he's thrown into prison? Curse God and die, right? That's Job's wife's, wife's uh, advice to him when he's suffering. Just curse God and die. Just forget about it. He doesn't care about you anymore. Um, clearly, he doesn't care about you anymore. Uh, you, 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 did, you did all the right things, and he's, he's permitted this suffering to happen, right? Well, uh, he doesn't. He doesn't. He's a faithful man. This is, where, this is where Joseph shines most brightly, and this is where Joseph uh, is most like Jesus. This is where we see a great picture of Jesus in Joseph. He does a righteous deed, and he suffers for it, um, and he doesn't renounce his faith. He doesn't, he doesn't give, up, uh, give up God. Um, but, and look what happens to him. Uh, he goes to prison, and what, what happens in prison? Everything goes well for him again, right? It's, uh, and at this point, he should say, I, see, I might see a pattern here, right? Uh, he, 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 and it's just like the first time. He is set over the entire prison. Uh, the, the prison warden said, this guy, this guy knows what he's doing. I'm just going to take it easy. He can be in charge of everything, right? Um, and, and, and so the cycle, the cycle continues. He does another righteous deed, right? He interprets the dreams of these two fellows, the cupbearer and the, the baker, right? They were in prison perhaps because, well, they, they were responsible for, uh, for making sure that Pharaoh didn't get poisoned and, um, I don't know, he, maybe, he, maybe he had the stomach flu or something. And uh, so they're thrown in prison, he interprets their dreams, does this good deed for them, and says, please, will you remember me? Remember me uh, when you, the, I think it's the cupbearer who ends up back in uh, the palace, right? Uh, remember me, and he doesn't. He forgets him. So again, he's shown favor. He does a righteous deed. He suffers. Um, and then uh, his, another opportunity arises, right? Pharaoh has some dreams. Um, let's see. We're going to have to fast forward a little bit because there's one key part that I want to get to in these last four minutes. Um, so you know how the story goes. I'll give you the, I'll give you the Sparks Notes version of it, right? Joseph uh, interprets Pharaoh's dreams, and then he drops this hint. He says, um, look, we know there's going to be seven good years and then seven famine years. Who, who should we appoint that would be so wise that could handle this situation? And Pharaoh says, clearly I see that the Lord is with you. How about you? And so Joseph becomes in charge of, every, of everything. Again, just like when he's in the house of Potiphar, everything except for, uh, except for King, the Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's title is given to Joseph, right? He's, he's, he's all but one step removed from being the most powerful man. Um, uh, now, and it's an interesting position to be in, right? To be just one step removed from being the, most, the, the biggest guy in the room. Because what's the temptation when you're, when you're in that position? Yeah, right. That was the temptation with Potiphar, right? What was the one thing that Potiphar had withheld from him? His wife, because she was his wife. Um, and, of course, uh, that's sort of, again, it, this is the primal sin, right? The sin in the garden. Um, Adam and Eve, what's the one thing that seems to be withheld from them? The knowledge, uh, what does the serpent say? If you eat of the fruit, you will be like God, right? Um, so, Joseph has, is righteous in this position of power. He doesn't grasp after that one last thing. And now he's in a position to 
to save, to be a savior. When you read Joseph, when you read Genesis 37 through 50, see Christ in Joseph. Find all of the ways that Joseph is like Jesus. Now, uh, here we are in chapter 42, and I just have to, I just have to tell you this because it's funny. Uh, Chapter 42, verse 1. I love this verse. I have a feeling I'm going to say this to my sons someday. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go and buy grain. What are you standing there for? Go to Egypt and buy grain, right? So the brothers go to Egypt. Joseph recognizes them immediately. They don't recognize Joseph. Um, I can tell I'm not going to get this done. So... um, let me, let me give you, well, fast forward. You know, how the, you know how the story goes. I want to share just one more thing with you. And that is at the end. How does this all come together? Um, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers after sort of testing them out to see if they're repentant. They are, right? They are sorry and scared. Um, and even when he promises that he's not going to hurt them, they're scared. When, they, when he sends them back to their, their father, after having revealed himself to them, he says, don't, don't be worried. Don't be anxious, which, you know, is often, it's just like how we are. Even when Jesus says, I'm not going to punish you. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm here, for your, I'm here to be merciful to you. Um, we're, we're still scared uh, at times that he's not, not going to fulfill his word. But they go, they get, they get his, uh, Benjamin, they bring him back. Um, Judah, meanwhile, has offered himself as pledge on behalf of Benjamin. This is Judah's, the, the, the culmination of Judah's formation, right? So Judah... Uh, uh, finally says to Joseph, look, um, I, can't go back to, I can't go back to my father without Benjamin because he would die. Um, I'm concerned about my father and his grief. I've made him grieve enough. Judah has this great act of repentance. Likewise, Joseph, uh, the, the sort of the pinnacle of Joseph's uh, character in the book is when he's presented with this opportunity because he remembers, it's, the text lays it out for us, he remembers what his brother's did to him, and he remembers the dream that he had, the dreams that he had, and he forgives them, right? The, I mean, this, these most beautiful words in which Joseph sounds most like Jesus. Um, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Genesis 45, verse 8. It was not you who sent me here, but God. And then at the very end of the book, let's see. In chapter 50, after Jacob has died, Joseph's brothers think that he's going to finally let him have it. They still don't trust him. They still don't believe his, his promise. And Joseph says, he weeps. He says, do not fear. This is chapter 50, verse 19. Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? All along, uh, all along Joseph has seemed to be in the place of God um, in, in his relationship with his brothers, right? He puts uh, their money back in their bags. He puts... Uh, a, a cup in a, chal- a silver chalice in Benjamin's bag. Um, they come; his brothers come and go, and sometimes he's happy with them, and sometimes he's angry with them, and they never know what they're going to get. Um, their their fate is completely in his hands. He seems like he's in the place of God. He says to he says to uh, the cupbearer and the baker. Um, they ask him to, or Pharaoh asks him to interpret his dreams, and he says, "Aren't interpretations left to God? Go ahead and ask me." Right. As though, as though he has this direct line to God. He seems to be in the place of God. But then this, this, this final confession, do not fear, verse 19, for am I in the place of God? As for you, 
You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. And those, those are, I mean, that's, that's Jesus in the Old Testament for us, right there. Okay? Let's take a, take a few weeks off, come back. What is it? Uh, January 10th for Grace for Pancakes, and then Bible study resumes the next week. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.